Imagine finding yourself in a place where going to church wasn't an option. Not in the sense that your parents are making you go against your will, but in the sense that there was no church to go to. The thought at first may excite you because, let's face it, a lot of times we come here because we have to come here. And there are a few other places that we might rather spend our time than here in the church. But after a while, it begins to wear on you. Months go by, and eventually years go by, and even decades. And you vaguely remember that some of the things you learned from way back when. You remember there was something about being in the presence of God. There was a certain joy in hearing the promises that God has made to you. But no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to remember what those promises were. You have a general idea of, of what they are, but at this time you're not sure if it was something you just imagined or if they were truly something that God has said. And you wish you remembered what it was. You faintly remember eating something, and then you remember that it was a little wafer and some wine to wash it down, but you can't remember why you did it. Would you miss it? Would you miss it if you were never able to participate in worship again? And if you would miss it, what would you miss about it? Our text this morning was written by someone who apparently didn't have to imagine what it would be like. Because for whatever reason, he was unable to go to worship. He couldn't worship the Lord as he so desired. And he missed it greatly. He longed for it. A lot of scholars will tell you that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are meant to be one psalm. And they have good reason for it. Both of them deal with the raw and honest emotion of the psalmist. Emotions that make us uncomfortable. Emotions that we just don't really know how to deal with. As I read the text, I invite you to listen to, for the sense of abandonment, the sense of despair, the sense of injustice that this man has who is separated from being able to worship the Lord. From Psalm chapter 42 and 43, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word if you're able. Psalm chapter 42 and 43, reading in Jesus' name. For the choir director, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng, and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me, and therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. And while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. 
Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to, dwell, to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth and open up our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. Lord, we pray that your word would accomplish the purpose for which you've sent it here today. May you accomplish your purposes in our hearts and minds and lives here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before jumping into the text, it's interesting to, to look at this very first part of Psalm chapter 42. It's not, doesn't, it's not really included after verse 1 in your own English Bibles, but in the Hebrew text, this is part of the inspired and errant word of God. And so it's important. In that first part of, verse 42, of chapter 42, we learn something about the use of this psalm. For the choir director, a masculine of the sons of Korah. That this psalm here was used to be, it was written to be used in worship. It was for the people to pour out their hearts before the Lord, a psalm for use. When times aren't good, for when those emotions and these feelings are about to overwhelm you, this psalm is a psalm for worship, for the congregation to use. So let's look at this psalm. The psalm begins with a picture. It's not a picture of someone who just got back from Bible camp who's on fire for the Lord and, and can't wait to be in Sunday school or VBS or church, but it's a picture of someone who is desperate for God, someone who craves God. The psalmist relates his panting or longing for God as a deer pants for water. Maybe you've been there before. You've done some exercise or it's a hot day and you're just panting, longing for water. It's the same feeling that the psalmist has, except he's not craving water. No, he's craving the Lord God. I picture this deer is parched with its mouth drying up and its tongue cleaving to the roof of its mouth. And this thirst isn't a merely physical thirst but a craving thirst of the soul. This man's soul who writes this psalm is dehydrated, so to speak. It's slowly drying up and dying inside of him, and so he thirsts for God. And not just any God will do, but as we look at the text, we see which God it is that he thirsts for. He thirsts for the living God, the one who satisfies, and the one who quenches thirst. And verse 3 gives a picture of a man weeping day and night. Unable to eat because he is so distraught. And he's distraught because he wonders, where's God? Where is this God who has promised to be with me? Where is this God who has promised to be good? Where is this God who has promised and desires to be known by men? Because right now I don't feel him. Right now I don't see him and right now I don't hear him either. Where is this God? I crave for him. Have you ever been there before? At any time in your walk with Christ? It's a dark and desperate place, isn't it? 
You think back to those times when you've been on fire for the Lord and, and you feel like you're walking with Him hand in hand and His presence is ever there beside you. But for whatever reason right now, you don't feel it. It's a place where you feel abandoned by the one who has claimed in His word to never leave you or forsake you. And if that wasn't bad enough, then there's mockery. The thoughts of your own heart, the, the doubts of your own heart, and the words of the crowds around you come and they ask you this question, where is your God? And you wish you had an answer, but you can't point to him. You wish you could tell them exactly where he is, but you don't know. You don't know where he is. And maybe it's so bad for you that you don't even know if he is. The psalmist here remembers the good old days. The days again when he used to participate in worship. The days when he himself went to the temple of God to sing praises. To sing praises with all the others. To worship the Lord. To glorify his name. And he even remembers the days when he was the one leading these masses to worship. Leading them with thanksgiving and joy. Gladly celebrating the feast of the Lord. But that's only a distant memory now. And what he would do to go back to those days to again worship the Lord, to be told of God's presence and to quench his dehydrated soul. But that's not his experience though. And so he's removed from God and he pants for a God. He longs for God. So here he is, parched, dry, with this shriveled up soul, alone, feeling as though God himself has abandoned him. And he feels as though God is nowhere to be found. And it leads him to despair. The psalmist wrestles with these feelings of being alone and, and he cries out in despair. He says, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? He can't point to one specific thing that has led him to this place, but he realizes where he is at and he feels the burden of his, where he's currently at. He doesn't understand what it is that flipped the switch inside of him from being one day walking in the presence of God and now he's removed from God's presence. How could he go from leading the masses into worship to a place cut off from God? And the rest of the verse reveals that he knows what he needs to do. And he tells himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. This is what I need to do. And it's one thing to know what it is that you need to do, but it's entirely another thing, actually doing it. Can he hope in a God who's not there? Can he trust in a God who's left him all alone? Can he trust in God when he is not able to go into the house of the Lord? And though he's in despair, he hasn't yet given up on God. The anguish of his soul is laid bare before the Lord, and he cries out to him, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. He cries out to the Lord. Why does he cry out to this Lord that he doesn't know where he's at, or he can't feel his presence? He cries out to this Lord because he knows that this Lord is one who hears. He knows that this is one who will listen to him. He knows that this is one who cares for him, even though he can't feel his presence. So he cries out to the only one who can help. And he begins to call to his memory again the times where he's seen God at work from the land of Jordan before he was sent out into exile, before he and his people were removed from that holy land into captivity once again from a foreign nation before everything went south. He remembers the mountaintops of Hermon and Mizar. And he continues on, deep calls to deep, at the sound of your waterfalls, 
and all of your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. It seems too much for this man to handle, too much for this anguished soul. For anyone who's ever been to the ocean and has seen the waves and the power that those waves have, and for anyone who's bold enough to try to ride those waves and harness that energy and surf or bodyboard or whatever it is that you try to do, and you find out your timing is a little off and that wave breaks on top of you and pummels you into the bottom of the ocean floor and you don't even know which way is up. You're all disoriented. You know how unpleasant that feeling is. It's the same unpleasant feeling that the psalmist has here. feels as though he's and set in spin cycle, utterly out of control. He doesn't know which way is up, and it's not a good feeling. He's being worked over by God. There's nothing that he can do about it. The guilt and the shame of sin, the conviction of his lack of hope and of his own personal despair, the feelings of guilt from, I'm no longer where I used to be. God, why is that, and where are you? He used to be a leader. How can he be one who's in despair? He feels forgotten and oppressed, and his enemies are out to get him, to shatter his bones and to taunt him for his foolish hope in a God who does not listen to him and does not answer, in a God who he thinks is not there and who the enemies know are not there. And the enemies aren't named here in this text. And I think that's on purpose. It's on purpose. It's vague enough so that you and I can use this psalm for when we're oppressed by whatever enemy it might be, whatever situation that you may be facing, whether that enemy is truly a physical enemy who is out to get you or that enemy is someone inside yourself who is trying to convince you that God's not there. He doesn't know what you're going through. Why don't you just give up already? And you're bringing doubt into your own heart. And as Kevin read, the, the serpent in Eden did to Eve, bringing up those own doubts that were already there in her own heart causing her to abandon her trust in the Lord. The psalm doesn't explain who the enemies are, but the psalm does explain what these enemies do. Where is your God? They ask. Where is your God? And despair begins to sink in when you look to your feelings and you say, I don't feel God, I don't know where he is. Despair begins to sink in when you, really, you look to your own excitement about being in God's house and that excitement isn't there. Say, God, why am I not excited about being here? Am I not right with you? The psalmist continues on and he asks, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. And here we see a confident trust in the God who is there, the God who is here. One that isn't based on feelings, one that's not based on present circumstances, but one that is based on the unchanging, unmoving word of God. And that same hope peeks through in verse 8, where he says, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. When times are great, when I'm walking hand in hand with the Lord and, and things are sunshiny and it's a beautiful day outside, the Lord is with me and his loving kindness is with me. But when there are times of darkness and doubt and despair, his song will be with me in the night. And even though I don't know how to sing it, even though I don't know the tune of it, I know that the Lord is still here beside me. 
the psalmist does feel alone, cut off from the presence of God. He's unable to get back into the temple of God to worship him. And his soul begins to feel as though it's shriveling up within him as he thirsts for God. And yet for some unspoken reason, God seems not to be found. His feelings aren't instantly fixed. His soul isn't instantly quenched either. He seems to be removed and distant. And one would think that the obvious conclusion to all of this would be to let your circumstances speak for themselves. To say, hey, you don't feel God. It's been a couple of weeks. It's been a couple of months or maybe years. He's not here. He's forgotten about you. And the psalmist bears this emotion before the Lord, saying, this is what I'm feeling. But the psalmist doesn't end there. And that's not where he ends up. He continues to go further. That's not where the starving soul finds nourishment is in abandoning God. No, rather the place where you find nourishment is further leaning into the God who is there and the God who has promised to be with you and the God who hears you when you call out to him. Psalm 43 begins with the plea, with the plea by the psalmist to have God judge and plead his case. For God to prove that the psalmist is right, to clear the blame and the suspicion that his enemies have, that his God has abandoned him or that his God doesn't exist. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. And the psalmist here pleads for justice. He pleads for deliverance from deceitful and unjust men, men who are there to taunt him and to oppress him for whatever reason, whether he's guilty or innocent. He finds himself being oppressed. But what happens when that deceitful and unjust man that you're seeking to be vindicated for, or vindicated from, is yourself? How will the Lord deliver me from myself? How will the Lord judge me justly when I am guilty? How will the Lord deliver me when it's my own wretchedness that oppresses me? And how will he accept me with all of my own ungodliness? How can I ask to be vindicated when I'm the guilty one? The Lord satisfies that paradox for us in verse 3. But he satisfies that way for us in a way where God can be both the one who is just and uphold his justice, and where God can also be the one who justifies you. That you aren't justified by your own works or your own righteousness, but justified by Christ. And the light the psalmist asks for in verse 3 would come eventually. And so he trusts in that coming light. And as we get to look back now, we get to see that light and the, the light of the world has indeed come. And not only has that light been sent out, but so has the truth along with that light. The truth that would reveal that God doesn't deal with us according to our sin, but instead he sent the light to deal with us. He doesn't reward us according to our own iniquities. But instead, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This light came. This light, who is the light of the world and this truth, who is the way, the truth, and the life, he came. And his name is Jesus. And the psalmist implores God to send out his light and his truth, but he also asks that this light and this truth would lead him, that he wouldn't be leading himself anymore, to lead him when he doesn't know the way, when he can't see where to go, that this light and truth would light the way, and that they would lead him to God's holy hill, 
unto the dwelling places of God. The psalmist says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. And as the psalmist writes off these words again, he's cut off from a place of worship. He doesn't have that choice to be able to go back to the temple of the Lord and to bring a worship and sacrifice to him. But he looks forward to the day when the Messiah will come and when he will once again worship in spirit and in truth in the Lord's presence. He looks forward to that day when the light and truth will come and that light and that truth will lead him to worship the Lord at his altar where he will once again join the throngs with the voice of joy and thanksgiving in procession to the house of God. And he desires to be led by Jesus into the dwelling place of God. And all this is included in the plea that he makes in verse 1. Vindicate me, O God. Brothers and sisters, this is the basis of your hope today. This is the basis of your hope when you feel like your soul is dying within you. When you feel alone and you're in despair and no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to work up God's presence within you anymore. You can't feel, no matter, you can't, no matter how hard you try, you can't work up the feelings that you are walking hand in hand with God and that you're best friends. When you feel as though God has forgotten you, this is the answer. That God has sent out his truth and his light for you. His name is Jesus and Jesus is the one who leads us to the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment. Not only does he lead us to the throne of grace, but Christ also promises to meet us there. He also promises to intercede for us. And as he leads us, he gives us the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of salvation, the reminder again that even though you don't feel close to God, that Christ has paid the penalty for all of your sins, and you are forgiven, and God doesn't deal with you according to your sins anymore but he deals with you on the basis of Christ and what Christ has done. And he brings us into the presence of God. And he causes us to approach the Father and all of his purity and his holiness. Even though we're made painfully aware that we are ungodly, we're made painfully aware of all of the stupid mistakes and all the dumb sins that we've done and we continue to do, we're made aware of our wretchedness that's inside of ourselves. And we have no one else to blame but yourself alone. However, we don't approach the altar of God alone. We are led by Christ. We approach the altar of God with the truth that Christ has reconciled us to God, that Christ has made full atonement for our sins. And we approach the throne of God with Christ and his merits, not our own works or our own goodness. We approach the altar knowing again that Christ has made full atonement for our sins being led by the hand by Jesus. And as Christ leads us to the throne, we can approach that throne confidently, assured that we will find grace and help in every time of need. That doesn't mean that we'll never feel alone again, but it means that we will never be alone. It doesn't mean that we'll never be broken or despaired, because the life is full of brokenness and despair. The promise is we will be healed. And we will have hope, hope in God. And this doesn't mean that we'll never again fall prey to our own wicked desires and that sin that dwells inside of us. But it means that we will be vindicated and counted righteous for the sake of Christ and what he has done as his light and truth 
comes to us. And so because of Jesus, we are once again brought into the dwelling place of God. And because of Jesus, we go to the altar of God with joy. And because of Jesus, we shall again hope in God and praise him. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him who is the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you and we praise you for your word and its truth. We praise you, Lord, for the way that you have made us. You've made us with emotions. You've made us with feelings. But God, you have given us your truth for us to interpret our emotions and our feelings. Lord, may these things drive us to you instead of drive us away from you. Help us to remember the things that you have done, that you have sent your truth, you have sent your light, that Christ, you have come, and you have come to lead us into the holy place where you dwell. Lord, that you have come to dwell inside of us as well. And help us to remember to approach the throne of grace, not cowardly, Lord, but assured of what you have done, not in fear, but trusting in the promise that you have promised to give us grace, that you have promised to forgive us, that you have promised to help us, and you have promised to meet us where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.